that was a, a form of church of discipline that we made Mike read all those names in that passage this morning. <laughs> he did good. Good job, Mike. <laughs> you know, we are so ordinary, aren't we? I mean, we are so normal, so, so weak, so ordinary, and yet an extraordinary Holy Spirit has been poured out upon us. And that's the mystery and the wonder of the Christian life. You know, whenever I speak on the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm glad I'm not on a, a church payroll uh, because you, I can't be fired for anything I say this morning. And that doesn't, I mean, I'm going to try to be as biblical as I can. I'm going to be try, try to be as solid. I'm going to be try to be careful to everything, be rooted and grounded in biblical truth. But I also am going to be very bold with you this morning. And so I ask you to open up your hearts and, and let God do a, a work in you. I recently heard a man uh, who had once been a seminary student at Dallas Theological Seminary, which is a good seminary, I'm not knocking it, but he told how a professor there, Howard Hendricks, who's a great guy, I've read a lot of his books, but he gave his students an assignment to write out 50 observations from Acts 1-8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So they were to write out 50 observations that they could make from that verse. And when they turned in those 50 observations, he gave them another assignment to write out 50 more observations on that verse. And this guy said he went on to write out 250 observations on Acts 1, verse 8. Now, the point of that exercise, obviously, was to expand their students' powers of observation to see more details in God's word, and that can be a really good thing. But as I listened to him tell this story, I just I had this sinking feeling in my heart that the main point of that verse, and perhaps the main point of the entire book of Acts, was being missed by those students. The Holy Spirit coming upon us is, a, is the personal presence of God enabling us to do things we couldn't do before. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I can imagine this band of ex-fishermen, these common, uneducated, untrained, ordinary men and women, hearing Jesus tell them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would then take his message to the whole world. I mean, they were probably thinking, you have got to be kidding me. Even if they didn't say that, they've got, had to have been thinking something like that. Uh, the Holy Spirit will do that with us? All I can say is this baptism better be really powerful. You know, I don't think they, they immediately tried to set up a committee. I think their response had to be something very much like uh, Mary, when the angel appeared to her and said that she was going to bear Jesus Christ. All she could say was, well, then let it be done to me according to your word. I mean, there's nothing she could do to figure it out, nothing she could do to plan it out, nothing she could do to make it happen herself. She just had to say, let it be done to me according to 
your word. And that's very much the response I feel there when, when, when these incredible promises are given to us of the Holy Spirit and his power to work in our lives. We, we just need to turn to the Lord and say, let it be done to me according to this word. The Spirit outpoured is the, is the very presence and the very power of God poured into our hearts. The presence of the Spirit is to be an experienced living reality. It is to change the course of our lives. It is not something that, it is not merely something that we know about or can describe or can make observations about. You and I are meant to live in the presence and power of the Spirit of God. And the question I would would I would have liked to, or the assignment maybe I would have liked to have given those semin- seminary students would be go home and ask yourselves, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? Have I experienced that power? Or how do I experience that? And how do I live in that? When the book of Acts repeatedly says that Peter or Philip or so-and-so or the group of people or the whole church was filled with the Holy Spirit, do you identify with that? Do, Do you get that? Can you say, yes, I know what that means? Well, don't we need to go and find out what that means? Don't we need to know how to live in that? Don't we need to know how to live in the presence and power of the Spirit of God? Jesus said to his disciples, guys, I don't even want you to leave Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Wait, wait, stay right here. Wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's, that's taken from Acts chapter 1, what Jesus told the disciples. Well, it was clear that he was talking about something that would happen to them. He was talking about something to be experienced. He was talking about something they would experience. He was talking about something that would impact them, something that would make a big change in their lives. He was talking about something that would make a difference in Peter and John and Mary and the other women, it says, who were there. In every single one of the 120 disciples or believers in Christ, that were there. And he was talking about something that would make a difference in every person, every man or woman, every young person, every old person who would receive the Spirit from that day on. Now, the exact events of Pentecost, of the day of Pentecost, will not be repeated. But the Spirit outpoured upon us and experienced in us, empowering us, is for every believer in every generation in this church age, in this age of the Spirit. Now, Jesus called this event in Acts 2 a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that in Acts, in Acts 2 when it actually happens, but in Acts 1 when he tells them that it's going to happen, he describes this as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I understand why people do, 
but I don't think we should shy away from the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. I understand there's controversy. I understand there's different opinions. Uh, I understand that, that maybe there's been some abuse associated with that. But it's a Bible term. It's a Jesus term. It's a promise of Jesus. This baptism is at the very core of why Jesus came and gave his life for you. And that's not an overstatement. He died to redeem you so that you might receive the promise of the Spirit. Baptism means to be immersed. It means to be placed under, to be soaked. Instead of being immersed in water, it is to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. And I can't think of anything a follower of Christ should want more than to be immersed or baptized in the very presence of God. And this is, is, this is a, the gift. In, in a sense, it is the gift. In a sense, it is the gift of Jesus Christ for you. You know, John's ministry was summarized by baptizing people with water. Jesus' ministry is, ba- is summarized by baptizing people with the Holy Spirit. John came to baptize with water. Jesus came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. John himself said, the, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down. He was talking about this at the, at, at the, at the baptism of Jesus. He said, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down. Who's that? Christ. Okay. John was saying, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In another place, John said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, I would urge you, I would urge you with all openness and eagerness to in some way, personally, individually, by yourself, go before Jesus. Go to Jesus and say, Lord, the scriptures say, I read right here in the scriptures that you will baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I want that. Just tell him that. You said you came to baptize with the Spirit. Just tell him you want that. I want that. I want to experience all that that means. Even if I don't understand all that it means, I want that. I want to live in that. A.W. Tozier uh, shared his own experience of this baptism in the spirit. He he just he was he was young at the time. He had recently become a, a, a Christian, uh, but he said there developed in me a restlessness. I was at a place where I wanted everything God had for me, even though I did not quite understand it all. I did not understand the Holy Spirit. I did not understand what being filled with the Holy Spirit was all about. But I was open to everything God had for me. And then it happened. I was 19 years old when I was baptized with a mighty infusion of the Holy Spirit. Even now, and this was written decades later, even now it is hard to explain what happened. But I know what God did for me and within me at that time. Nothing on the outside from then on had equal importance for me. Key statement. Nothing on the outside from that time on had equal importance for me. In faith, I took a leap 
from, away from everything that was unimportant to that which was most important, which was to be possessed by the Spirit of the living God. Tozier went on to say, Looking back over my life, my testimony is simply that any work God has ever done through me and my ministry dates back to that moment I was filled with the Holy Spirit. All the credit goes to the Holy Spirit. That is when I truly became alive. Not a day goes by, but that I give myself completely to the Holy Spirit. And I love that description because... There is a first time, okay? There's a first time, there's an initial time, there's a time when you're baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we live in that. Uh, David Guzik in his commentary on Acts, Acts 2, he said, maybe instead of asking people, were you baptized with the Holy Spirit? We should say, are you baptized with the Holy Spirit? I mean, are you living in that state of being filled and immersed with and in the Holy Spirit. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this next paragraph, but and I, I hope it doesn't embarrass anybody or whatever. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon a man or a woman, it, it, it changes everything. And I can't think of a better phrase than just, it changes everything. Uh, when, he, when he comes with impact, uh, he falls upon us, he fills us. And I didn't get their permission, but I well remember... Uh, when Josh and Alyssa were both filled with the Spirit in the same night for the first time. And it's not going to happen the same way to everybody. I'm not trying to communicate that. But for them, it was very much like this ex- experience in the Church of Acts, except minus the wind and the fire. And when I share their, their remarkable experience with the elders, the other elders at Dwine Fellowship Church, where I was at the time, one of the other elders who I had tremendous respect for, he immediately said, well, this changes everything. And it did. It did. It rocked their lives. Uh, they were never this, this, the same of, uh, uh, again. Uh, you know, I, I just, I stand amazed when I, when I look at, at, at Josh and what he, what he was before and what he, what he is, <laughs> what he is now. It's really amazing. And Alyssa too. I don't. I don't mean that. But just it's incredible what the Spirit of God can do in a person's life. And it's, again, it, it's not going to do the same way. It's not going to happen the same situation. But when the Holy Spirit works in a person's life, it makes a difference. The infusion of the Spirit of God into your spirit is the most powerful thing that can happen to a human being. I'm going to grab a Kleenex. Here's something I, I really want you to know. When the Holy Spirit fell upon the church in Acts 2, it was not some unplanned, random event. It was shocking in the sense that the Spirit came with wind and with fire and with tongues, but it was not just some bizarre thing that came out of left field for no rhyme or reason. And, and some people, when they think of the Holy Spirit, they, they always just think of, 
well, it's just something off the wall or it just came out of left field. And they, they kind of think that with, even with Acts, with Acts, with Acts 2. And I, I actually think some believers are actually embarrassed by this chapter. But this outpouring of the Spirit was a part of God's sovereign plan for the ages. It was a part of his plan for his church. It was part of his plan for you. God promised it. God promised it and he delivered on his promise. Just as God sent his son into the world at the right time, he sent his spirit into the world according to his schedule and his will. And the plan of God was to pour out his spirit on the basis of the ascension of Christ to his right hand. And we'll we'll look at it further later on in this chapter in Peter's sermon. But the Father took the Holy Spirit, in a sense, gave the Holy Spirit to the Son. And the Son received the gift from the Father. And then the Son, Jesus, poured out his spirit on the church. And God had been planning that forever. And then God's spirit being poured out would then then empower his people and energize. And he would manifest himself in a unique way through each and every believer. The spirit would then direct the church and dwell in the church. And we say that Jesus Christ is, and he is, is the Lord and the master, the chief shepherd of the church. But he does his shepherding ministry, his guiding ministry of the church through his spirit that he himself poured out. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the promise of the Father. He told his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. In Luke 24, 49, he said, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. Stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So Jesus was talking about a promise that had been made a long time ago. He was talking about a promise that had been made ages ago by the Father. And he wanted his disciples to experience that which the Father had promised. And just as as people in those days who knew the scriptures and who loved God were looking for the Messiah. Remember, there was people that liked that when Jesus came. Also, those who knew the promises of scripture and who loved God were looking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to take a huge risk this morning, if if I haven't already, And I'm going to take you on a brief journey through time, through the scriptures. And uh, I I wouldn't do it except I I do not think you can really fully understand this whole plan and the, the importance of the Holy Spirit's outpouring without understanding this. The greatest gift that God has ever given to human beings is the gift of his own immediate presence. That was the gift that he gave Adam and Eve in the garden. And his own presence was the gift that he gave to the people of Israel. 
God's presence, his immediate presence with them was what made them different from everyone else on earth. It's what distinguished them. This was the one magnificent blessing and privilege that they had that no other people on earth had. The Lord told Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said, man, that's wonderful, Lord. In fact, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? Exodus 33, 14 through 17. The one thing that made Israel different from all other people was that the immediate presence of God was with them. And almost all of you have heard of some of the Old Testament stories of God's powerful presence among his people and upon his people. If, you, if you've read your Bible or you've seen the Ten Commandments, you know that God himself led the Israelites out of Egypt. And he led them out, he, he, he led them with a pillar of fire to guide them at night and a massive cloud of smoke to guide them by day. It was, the, it was God. It was the presence of God. Then in their journey through the wilderness, God gave them instructions to build a tabernacle where God chose to manifest his immediate presence. Exodus 25, 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. There I will meet you and speak to you. There I will also meet with the Israelites. I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. When they finished building that tabernacle, the cloud which had been leading them all the way, this cloud in the pillar of fire, it settled. That manifested presence of God settled over this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, and it says the glory of the Lord's presence filled the tabernacle. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and a fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. God's presence was right there with them in the tabernacle. Years later, David wrote many psalms about his sheer joy of being in the tabernacle because God's presence was there. And that's why he said, this one thing have I desired, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. He loved the presence of God. He loved this immediate presence of God. One day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. In the tabernacle, in the place where God's presence was manifested, David said, I'd I'd rather spend one day there than live a thousand outside. And he had this this desire, this desire for the tabernacle. And you you really can't understand the Psalms unless unless you know just the things that I've just been telling you. He had this desire and this joy in being in the house of God. You know, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He was so glad. He was filled with joy because God's presence was there. In the tabernacle. And David wanted to build a permanent house for God. 
He wanted to build a temple instead of this more transient ta- uh, tabernacle that they had. He, he wanted to build a permanent house. But if, if you remember, this, remember the story, God didn't let him do it, but he said his son Solomon would. Solomon built a magnificent temple for the Lord. And when that temple was completed, if you know the story, but I mean, a tremendous display of power, the glory of the Lord came into that temple. And God's presence, the presence of the Lord filled that temple. God was there, present among his people in the temple. But all through Israel's history, there had been this massive problem of spiritual adultery and idolatry and turning away from God. And after David, this, this increased greatly. And eventually, the Lord withdrew his presence from Israel. And after, after hundreds of years of relentless, gross idolatry, the Lord himself brought King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon to Jerusalem to judge his people. And, the, and Solomon's temple was destroyed, utterly destroyed. It was burned to the ground. And now there was no temple, no place where the presence of God was visibly uh, displayed the, where the presence of God was immediately experienced by the people of Israel. In a sense, God was lost to them. The glory of the Lord departed. That's what Ezekiel says. The glory of the Lord departed from the temple. But all during this... Here, here we're, getting, we're getting to the important part, okay? But all during this time of spiritual idolatry... There was a group of men called the prophets that God raised up and they warned the people of God's, of this impending judgment, but also they had another message, another really important message. And they, they prophesied, they foretold of a coming glorious age when God when God would again dwell with his people. But in, an, but in a new and even greater way than he dwelt with them in the past. And that's what men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and a guy named Joel wrote about and prophesied about. And here's just a few of their, their prophecies. The fortress will be abandoned. The walls of the city, the noisy city will be deserted. The watchtower will become a wasteland until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, whom I have chosen, for I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I have put in your mouth. There's, there's going to come a day when my spirit will not depart from your mouth or from the mouth of your children or from the mouth of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. And then we come to Joel. And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Joel 2, 28 and 29. So, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples in Acts chapter 2, there, there was just some, at least to outward observers, some kind of strange things going on. And some who heard the noise and, and the commotion and the, the, the disciples speaking in various tongues or languages, they said, these guys are drunk. These guys are drunk. But Peter said, no, these men are not drunk as you suppose. He says, this is what was spoken of by God's prophet, Joel. Peter said, this is the outpouring of the Spirit. This is the fulfillment, or at least the beginning of the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies. Gordon Fee said, um, in his really excellent book on the Holy Spirit, which I'm currently reading, he said, the Spirit is none other than the fulfillment of the promise that God himself would once again be present with his people. And in these promises, God spoke of an even, of an even broader, more generous work of the Spirit, coming powerfully upon all kinds of people, all classes of people, all sexes, men and women, young, all ages, young and old, that he would, be powerfully, uh, he would powerfully come upon all his people in greater measure, in greater manifestations, with greater power to soften our hearts toward God, empowering us to love God and to obey God from our hearts. And so this baptism was, uh, it was promised by God, it was from God, and it was brought about by God. And these, so these events in Acts 2 are the beginning, and, and I emphasize the, be, the beginning uh, because it was just the start. It was, it was an outpouring, but it was to have a lasting impact. Beginning of the fulfillment of the Spirit being poured out that God the Father promised long ago. So I want to go back, and I, now with this understanding, I hope I haven't lost anybody. Are, are you kind of with me? Okay, all right. I want to go back and I want to read Acts 2 with this understanding. Now, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And Pentecost was was a Jewish holiday. It was 50 days after the Jewish Passover. And and God ordained the outpouring of the Spirit to take place on this holiday when as many as a quarter of a million extra Jews would be in the city that came from all over the Roman Empire to be impacted and to hear the message of the outpouring of God's Spirit. Suddenly a sound 
like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So, you know, the first evidence is just the sound of a rushing wind, I think the King James says. Uh, it's just a loud sound. Doesn't, I, don't, I don't think it says it necessarily was a wind, but it was, it was this very loud sound, just this roar. This roar filled, the, filled the, the room like a mighty, violent wind. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I, I don't know what to say about that. It's you know, just like a little, bit of, little, a little flame of fire on each, on each pers- person's head. Amazing. Verse 4, And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The third evidence was the disciples, the believers, this 120 there, began speaking in other, other tongues or languages. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. That's why it happened at Pentecost, this holiday. That's the reason why all these people groups were there. They were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, this roar, of the, of the mighty violent wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, well, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? How then is it that each of us hear the, hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? There's at least 15 different people groups mentioned here. And it seems, and I I don't know all the details of the story, but it it seems like to me that, that all the disciples were were all, or at least uh, as a group, speaking in these tongues or languages. And yet, all these different people groups, they heard them in their own language. So somebody, some people have said it's not only a, a miracle of languages, but it's a, it's a, it's a miracle of hearing. They, each one of these groups, they heard, and, and they weren't preaching the gospel to them. And, and I, not that this is maybe a, maybe a real important point. They, it wasn't they were preaching the gospel to them in their own tongues. They were praising God. They were declaring the wonders of God. They were uh, filled with the Spirit and just exuberant with incredible joy in the presence of God. And they were, they were, they were speaking or declaring the wonders of God in these different tongues or languages. And yet these people heard them heard in their own dialect or language. Some, however, verse 13, made fun of them and said... They have had too much wine. So to, to, so to some, it was not a great miracle. It just, it just merely sounded like unintelligible speech of, of, of drunk men and women. Verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. I love that. <laughs> let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I, what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. 
Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So again, when they uh, charge the disciples with being drunk or dis, dis, disorderly, uh, Peter goes back and what does he do? He goes back to the original, infallible promises of God to justify and explain this rather strange event. And why, why does Peter appeal to this promise of Joel? Well, I think he appeals particularly to this promise of Joel because God said through Joel that phenomenal things would accompany the outpouring of God's Spirit. And phenomenal things were happening there in Jerusalem in Acts 2. And throughout the Bible... The Holy Spirit caused many remarkable effects on God's people. I mean, all throughout the Bible, these, the, 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 these things are, are not necessarily new phenomena. I mean, all throughout the Scripture, uh, God's Spirit caused effects on His people. People dreamed dreams. People had visions. People prophesied. Those were ways that God's immediate presence upon a man or a woman, was, 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 was sometimes or, or perhaps even often manifested. But Joel, Joel, knowing that, 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 that these were like kind of the highlights of the Old Testament, you know, when, when somebody had a vision or a dream or prophesied, knowing that these were kind of the, the highlights, he said there's going to come a time when God's Spirit is so generously poured out on such a mass, massive scale that virtually all of God's people would prophesy, even your sons and daughters. And, you know, maybe you can't relate to that, but it's God's word, you know? John Piper said, when God Almighty pours himself into an individual The inner life is changed. It is filled with God. And since the mouth is simply the pressure valve of the inner life, when the inner life is full of God, the mouth prophesies. I love that. Young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. Young and old, men and women, even the lowliest, my servants, my bond servants, all, all, God says, will have this immediate, direct experience uh, or communication with, with my spirit, says the Lord. So, the disciples here in Acts 2 were experiencing other, other miraculous phenomena, not necessarily described in Joel, but but it was it was like what Joel uh, prophesied or promised. God, God's spirit was acting upon people, and they they did things that they could not do without the spirit. So Peter said, "You shouldn't mock this. Even if, even if you don't understand it, don't don't mock it. God promised ages ago, repeatedly through multiple prophets, that things like this would happen." when the Spirit is poured out on His people. Now, it doesn't mean 
that all people filled with the Spirit have the same experience, but things like this happen, certainly can happen. God's presence has an effect, and I think we should expect that. Uh, the Holy Spirit does, and He brings much more to us than phenomena like dreams or prophecies. I mean, rem- remember Jesus said the Holy Spirit... Uh, He said the ultimate effect was that we would be his witnesses. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit, we know, comes to bring his fruit into our lives. He leads us to become holy, to live holy lives. He manifests gifts through us. But he does also fill our hearts and minds and our mouths with remarkable abilities and experiences with the Holy Spirit and we should not be shocked by it and we should not mock it because God spoke about these things by his prophets. It's rooted in his own word. This does not mean that everything that goes on in the name of the Holy Spirit is from the Holy Spirit. Okay? But if our main focus uh, becomes trying to uh, shut down everything that we don't think is the Holy Spirit, don't, don't we get to the point where we, where we just quench the Holy Spirit and lose all sense of expectation of what he might do through us? I mean, here, personally, this is, this, this is how this chapter impacted me. Again, I've studied it many times before. But it's like when the Holy Spirit is poured out, I mean, it's like the doors are blown off. Uh, We sang that song, fling wide the the heavenly gates or something like that. I mean, it's just like, like, yeah, God flung open the heavenly gates and the Spirit was poured out. And it's like the possibilities just expanded exponentially. All things are possible. Uh, you You might be given dreams from God tonight. Or you might get up and prophesy in church next Sunday, speaking of the great things God has done for you or shown you. Or you might have a vision or a visual impression given to you by God that just speaks to you and meets such a need in your heart and life. Or you might speak in a new tongue. You might be a witness to, for Christ to some people you never imagined in your wildest dreams. God might use you or use this church family to accomplish things beyond what we could ask or think. All because of the Holy Spirit. Like I say, it's like, it's like the doors are, have been blown off. The limitations have been removed. And I know I'm probably making some people uncomfortable with this. That's not my purpose at all. I, I, I always like people to be comfortable. But, but I, I think we have to open up our hearts and minds and, and, and accept what the Word says here and to, be, to open up our lives and our hearts to it, we have to realize that when God's Spirit is poured out upon us, everything changes. At least everything can change. And there's a saying, I think the Holy Spirit brought it to me, but you can be the judge of it. There's a saying that you can't close the barn door after the horse is out of the barn. Well, the Holy Spirit is out. The Holy Spirit is out of the barn and you can't put the Holy Spirit back in the barn. And nobody can. He's been poured out. 
I mean, some people would like to, but God already let him loose, so to speak. Yeah, I don't, do Brian and Ashley still have that voice recording on their telephone that we're on the loose or something like that? Well, I mean, the Holy Spirit is on the loose. And aren't you glad he is? So, uh, here's what I want you to, to, to remember today from all this. You live. You live today. Today we live in the times or in the season after... Remember that word, after. We live after the Spirit has been poured out. Okay? We live in the days of the Holy Spirit outpoured. And so we are to enter into that individually and as a church family. We are post-Pentecostal people. Okay? We're, We're people that live after Pentecost. And that makes a difference. And it makes a difference in how we approach everything. We expect God to show up. We expect God to be at work in our lives. We expect God to do mighty things in and through us. And so these are the, these are the things, that by the grace of God, uh, you know, we're going to seek to explore in this uh, teaching series on the book of Acts. But certainly, as Josh said last Sunday... The outpouring of the Holy Spirit should raise, should raise your expectations of what God can do in and through you. And it should raise our expectation of what God can do through us as a, as a group of God's people. Let's pray.